Uh, I won't say the first, but the second thing that I did was I started a church uh, in Randleman, North Carolina. Now, I don't know that there needs to be too many more churches started. Uh, the opportunity arose, uh, individual, uh, they owned a summer camp there in Randleman, North Carolina. They allowed us to meet there on their campus uh, for a fee. For We rented the building there. We immediately had enough people to fill that building up. And uh, we started meeting there, and we knew it was getting time uh, we, to, to get our own building. We began to pray. There was a piece of property next door to that camp that we really wanted. We fell in love with that piece of property, and we thought that the wording was that they were going to sell it to us for under appraisal, and that's what they told us. They said, when the appraisal comes in, we'll sell it for under appraisal, and uh, so we began to pray about that, and, and church began to pray. We knew the appraisal was coming. A month would uh, get us the appraisal price, and we knew we would get close, so that month we began to fast and pray as a church. Uh, on a Sunday evening, the week before that cost was supposed to come in, I got a call from another preacher in Winston-Salem. He said, Brother, there's a church that's for sale. You need to go look at it. And uh, we'd already been talking with the banks. The banks had told us uh, that they really didn't want to work with the church and that they were going to require close to 40% down on anything we bought, which is absolutely crazy. You can be a drunk, uh, meth head, uh, crackhead, whatever you want to be, and you can go out and buy a house and take out more money than we were wanting to take. And they weren't willing to work with us, and so we really didn't know what was going to happen. We had a fella who said that he was going to give us or really loan the church at 0% interest, uh, which I really didn't like the idea, uh, a particular amount of money. He died the week before, and so that was up the road. We thought, man, what are we going to do now? And so he told me, he said, go out and look at the church. The church is $50,000. They, uh, they're just looking for somebody to take over, and, and it's an independent Baptist church. They only have about three or four people there, and they're older. So we went out and looked at it. I walked in and I said, well, you know, I don't know what our people are going to say, but I want it. And, uh, you know, we'll find the $50,000. And uh, so we started talking and, and talking with this person. The land we wanted came in at appraisal somewhere about $230,000, and they wanted $349,000 for it. And so they lied to us. Uh, we started talking with this pastor in this church, and uh, we told him we were interested. And uh, about a week went by, and they came to us and said, look, we know it's $50,000. We prayed about it. We're going to sell it to you for $30,000. We thought, well, that, that's a blessing. Praise the Lord. I said, I don't want to take advantage of you. I said, but we, we thank you for that. And another week went by, and uh, we were making our preparations for everything and going through everything, talking with the lawyers, getting ready for all that. And he said, brother, we need to meet, because he was letting us use the building. We had full access to the building. We, we were using it as if it was ours. He said, we have one more meeting, a financial meeting to talk about, to go over all our bills and everything. And uh, we're going to do that on Friday at 2 o'clock. And I told my wife, I said, Friday at 2 o'clock, I know I'm going to get a phone call. And they're going to call me up and say, look, we changed our mind. We don't want to sell this to you. You're going to have to go back. And I was probably going to have to tell all my people, we got to go back to that center block building on the campground. And uh, this is not going to be good. So Friday rolls around, and I waited all day for 2 o'clock. Sure enough, the phone rang at 2 o'clock, and I pulled over. I told my wife, says, is it? It's over. We're going to have to pack up and just move out. And uh, he said, look, preacher, we've been praying about it. We've been talking about it. We know we told you $30,000. But after we talked about it, we're just going to give you the building. And uh, they gave us the building completely free. We, we, have, we have no debt. Uh, we had actually had an individual who, I don't, he made a brand new pulpit for, I think, a Presbyterian church. Beautiful, big, white pulpit. He said, you can have it. All you got to do is come pick it up. Never been preached on. Uh, brand new pulpit for free. Somebody donated a baby grand piano to us. Uh, tables, chairs, uh, all kind of things just been taken care of. The Lord's been good. We've been seeing people get saved. 
Uh, it's been a blessing. The Lord's been working. We, we, just this year alone, we've seen uh, a few people get saved. Visitors come in. We had a lady come in this morning. I think she found the wrong church. Uh, I think she was looking for the church down the road. And uh, she, I don't think she's going to be back. Uh, so it is a blessing. We're looking forward to what the Lord has for us. But the Lord still answers prayers. The Lord still works. Uh, we know the Lord's getting ready to come back. That's what we know. We know the rapture's getting ready to come back. First Thessalonians chapter number 4 tells us that in the twinkling of an eye, uh, that the Lord's going to come back, that all the dead in Christ will rise up, and those that are alive, that spiritually alive and remaining, will rise up to meet them in the air, will ever be with the Lord, the Bible says. And I'm looking forward to that day. Now that day is sooner now than it has ever been. If you look at the days and the times that we're living in, we are living in that day today, without a shadow of a doubt. Ephesians chapter number 2, I I pastor in a very rural area, and uh, we have rural people, and I tell them that sometimes you have to clear the the field of the rocks before you can actually plow and plant. So we're going to clear some rocks real quick, build some foundations. Ephesians chapter number 2, I want to show you two things in Ephesians 2 and John chapter number 3. If you want to stand, you can, but I'm going to be all over the place. So if if you're more comfortable being seated, uh, you won't offend me unless it's just something you want to do. Look at one verse here in Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 6. The Bible says, of course, Ephesians chapter number 2 is a timeline of your Christian growth. Verse number one, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That was you before Jesus Christ. You were dead. John says that you have passed from death unto life. Where in time past, this is your past. If this is not your past, then you may want to get a checkup. There is a change. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, the Bible says. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, you were a sinner. God showed mercy. He loved you. The Bible says that God committeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places. Now that's your current position. Now, today you're sitting here and your current position is that you have been justified. That is your legal standing before God Almighty. The Bible says that you were a sinner, that your past was filled with sin, but now you have been justified. That means that in the legal standings of heaven's courtroom, that there is no record of your sin. You have been made the righteousness of God. That means that when God looks on your account, He finds the account of Jesus Christ. This is where you are at. You are justified. You are sanctified. And one day, praise the Lord, you will be glorified. But right now, at this moment in time, you are positionally seated spiritually in heavenly places. When God looks at you, that's where he sees you. When God looks in your record, when God looks at your life, that's where you're at. Now, that can't be changed. 
you realize when I said that you had been made the righteousness of God? That is Jesus' righteousness. His righteousness has no beginning and no end. You can't lose it. His righteousness is eternal. The Bible says he gave us eternal life, everlasting life. But it says it gave us eternal redemption. That means that your redemption goes over and over and over and over. There's no denial that what I have right now can never be taken away. When God looks at you, you are sitting in heavenly places. That's your position. Now turn to John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3, I want you to see another position. Now there's only two positions you can be in. Only two positions that you can be in. There's no halfway point. There's no gray area. There's no fence that you can uh, straddle. I think one of my preachers said, uh, a man that straddles the fence ends up with torn britches. Uh, You can't straddle the fence. You can't straddle the fence. You can't be in both areas at the same time. John chapter number 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He looks at him and says, we know that you're a man came from God because no man can do these things except to be from God. Jesus looks at him and says, Verily, verily, uh, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. John chapter number 3 deals with the life of a religious man who is lost. John chapter number 4 deals with a sinful woman who is lost. They go hand in hand. Your Bible goes hand in hand. You need to read it together. John chapter number 3 looks at him in verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that verse. We use that verse. We love that verse. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse number 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. That's where you're at. Romans chapter number 8, Bible says that we are, therefore, uh, that, we are not, that we are no longer condemned in Romans. Bible says he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, look, you guys will take a long trip. You'll find a proselyte and you'll make him twice the child of hell. The only way you can be twice the child of hell is that if you are already the child of hell. Now, every individual that is born upon this planet is born a sinner. The Bible says, wherefore is by one man sinner into the world and death by sin. So, or, and so death passed upon all for that all have sinned. Every single person on this planet, it's either in one or two, or one of the two positions. Either you are seated in the heavenly places or you are currently in the mind of God Almighty already positioned in hell. That's where you're located at. Now, if you've never been saved, if you've never been born again, if you've never called upon his name and confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, right now, in God's mind, you are positioned in hell. That's where you're at. Two positions, okay? Now, keep that in mind. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 16. Now we're going somewhere with this. It's like a roller coaster. We just have to get to the top before we can come down. Matthew chapter number 16, we have one of the mountaintop verses in the Bible. Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 13, the Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, some say, that thou art John the Baptist. Uh, This is because of the message that he was preaching. John the Baptist came on the scene. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist got thrown in prison. Jesus took on the scene, said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message, whether it's the message of the kingdom or the message of grace, it's still repent. 
Say you John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elias. This is because he could work the miracles. Elias was a great miracle worker. Others, Jeremiah, is because he had compassion and they'd find him weeping. And Jeremiah is the weeping prophet or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Now that's the most important question that anybody can ever answer. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse number 18 is where I really want to focus in on for a second. And I, I want us to think about this for a minute. Now, in Bible college and in preaching, I've always heard this verse represented in a particular way. When I have heard this verse represented, I've heard it represented as this. Jesus looks at Peter. Peter, I have something to say unto you. Upon this rock. That's not Peter. Peter's not the Pope. Peter's not the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. He's that rock, the Bible says. He is the rock. And upon what rock? The statement that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. Now, I believe that. I believe that wholeheartedly, that upon that statement and upon that rock, Jesus Christ will build his church. But then the statement goes on and it says here, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I've always heard that what this means is that hell is attacking and that hell is fighting and that hell is coming against it and that, that God is so great and so strong and so wonderful that hell will not be able to fight against the church. Now that sounds good. That sounds great. That sounds wonderful. And I do believe that Satan, the Bible says he's a lion and he's seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. The Bible talks about that he is going day and night, walking to and about upon this earth. I believe that God, that, that Satan would desire to close down every single independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church. I believe that he would take every single Christian, every single mother and every single father and get them out of church and take their children out of church and get them out of the way. That's his desire. I believe that. But I got to thinking about this a little bit. Uh, I, we live in, like I said, a rural area. Uh, a few years back, we began to raise goats. Uh, and I found that everything the Bible says about sheep and goats are absolutely correct. Sheep and goat are the dumbest animals on this planet, I believe. They do some of the strangest things. They will eat up your rose bushes. They will eat up everything that you've got that's green except for the things you want them to eat. But the thing that I found out about a goat is that they're the most difficult animal to keep inside a pen. I've got dogs, and a dog will sit inside a pen, and it will lay there and look at the gate and lay there and just wait for you to come and open the gate. A goat will take his own body and push himself up against the fence and push himself up against the gate until it can get out. A few years back, we had a fella. I met him. We were, I went to go pick up an armoire from him. And he said, hey, you want a goat? And I thought, well, I'll always take a free goat. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. And so I thought, yeah, I'll take it. He said, me and my son, we found this goat while we were fishing. And uh, he said, you can have it for free. And we went over and we found this goat, and it's tied up in the backyard with a pit bull. And this goat and this pit bull, they're running around having a good time. And I brought this little goat home, little bitty thing, and I put it in there with my other goats. Now, up until that point, my fence was pretty secure. But that goat began to tear out and get out and get out and get out. 
and it just kept breaking through the fence and breaking through the gate, and the only thing you can do, uh, and you take note of this, the only thing that, uh, that a shepherd can do when you've got a sheep or a goat that's getting out and causing trouble is you either got to kill it or get rid of it. That sounds mean, but that's the truth. Uh, and I began to think on this about a gate. Now, we look at this as if a gate is an offensive matter that is fighting against the church. It represents the power of hell. It represents that strength of hell. But I'm kind of simple-minded. I, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't, like to, I don't like to overcomplicate things. I like to take my Bible and read it as it is. I don't have to have a Greek lexicon. I don't have to ha- go into the Hebrew. I've got an English Bible because I speak English. Now, there's only one thing that a gate's good for. A gate is not an offensive item. A gate is a defensive item. A gate is used to keep something in or to keep somebody out. And the possession of this gate is hell. Now I find that on one side of the gate, there are individuals who are positioned spiritually in heaven. And on the other side of the gate, there are individuals who are positioned in hell. Now, those gates belong to hell. Those gates are manned by Satan. Those gates are manned by the demons and the demonic power that flows to our country. And what I read when Jesus says that, he says, look, I'm getting ready to establish a church. There's a difference between a church and the church. A church is where the fellowship meets. The church is the people that are supposed to go out and win souls. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Go ye to all nations, teaching them, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I look at that and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, I'm going to build a church and I'm going to build it on myself and on the statement that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And on the other side of that gate is hell. Now according to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse number 4, Paul writes to the church of Corinth and he says, There are a group of people who are blinded by the God of this world and the only thing that will ever get them out of that blindness is the light of the glorious gospel. Now, I talk to a lot of Christians, I talk to a lot of pastors, I talk to a lot of people, and they tell me this is just awful. We're living in dark days, and we're living in hard days, and it's just terrible and awful, and it just needs to get better, and nobody wants to get saved, and nobody wants to hear the gospel, and nobody wants to do this or do that. Here's what my Bible says. My Bible says that a church can go against the gates of hell, and the gates of hell cannot stop them. You see, we run around and we, we're complaining about how dark it is. We complain about our country. Oh, we got, we got men dressing like women, and we got women dressing like men, and we, we have sodomites, and, and we have homosexuals, and we have lesbians, and we have, we have drugs rampant, and we have alcohol rampant, and we run around and we say, what we need is a political reform. What we need is to flood some more money into the, the country, and we have an economical reform or an educational reform. What we need in this country is the churches of God to get back to soul winning. You see, we've stopped. We've stopped. Next week, now please do not take this. You guys are going to have an Easter egg hunt next week. Okay. I didn't want to offend anybody. We're kind of old-fashioned at our church, and we don't do those kind of things. We have Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we don't think that there were any ducks or chicks or anything of that nature walking around the cross. And so, but uh, we, we're careful. I, just, I didn't want to offend anybody. Next week, all these people, they're going to have Easter egg hunts. They're going to have, they're going to have I, I wrote by a church. They're going, instead of church, instead of preaching, they're going, they're going to hunt plastic eggs with candy in it. 
They're going to have hot dog dinners and they're going to have pizza and, and, and they, they think this is the way it's supposed to do. You know, well, preacher, we can give them the gospel. They're not coming for the gospel. They're coming for the chocolates inside the eggs. Well, preacher, Jesus fed 5,000. Yeah, but Jesus also told you to go into all the world and not give them gospel and not give them the Easter eggs, but give them, give them the gospel. Do you know that, that the Apostle Paul, that go through the New Testament. I mean, I read my Bible. I think I've got, I had a fair enough time reading my Bible throughout my lifetime. I can't find that the church ever celebrated Easter. You know what the church was busy doing? Every single day, getting the gospel out. Getting the gospel into the world. The, light, the world is not dark because of the sin. The world is dark because the light is being diminished. I mean, we're sitting in here tonight. If the sun was to go down and we turned off all these lights, it didn't get dark because the darkness got greater. It got dark because the light got smaller. And so we live in this life and we live in this way of thinking, look, I don't want you to ever think that a church cannot be a soul-winning church. God gave every church the ability and the tools necessary to get out and see people get saved. We, we were in the nursing home last week and one of our men walked up to a 72-year-old lady, began to talk to her about the Lord, and the 72-year-old lady sitting in the nursing home got saved. People can still get saved today. It's not that dark. It's not that hard. God gave us the ability and the gates of hell can't stop us. Now here's the key. What kind of church is a church that is going past and can prevail against the gates of hell. I want to give you this real quick and I'll be finished. Four things real quick. Number one, this is a church that is desired to be spirit-led. Look what it says there. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. John chapter number four, the Bible says God is a spirit and they that worship him must, be, uh, must worship him in spirit. A church that wants to be one that is prevailing must be a church that's not afraid to follow the movement of the Spirit. Now, I know I'm in an independent Baptist church, not a charismatic church. But we ought not be afraid of the movement of the Spirit. I mean, I could take you to churches right now and the Spirit come in and they wouldn't know what to do with it. They wouldn't know what to do if the Spirit actually came in and touched their heart. They wouldn't know what to do if the Spirit actually came in and moved in. They wouldn't know what to do. This church should be a church Christian. You should be a Christian that is desirous every day and every week to be filled with the Spirit, to seek after the Spirit, and that your church ought to be led by the Spirit. Not by the flesh. There are a lot of churches led by the flesh. They want the fleshly way. and they want No, you need to be led by the Spirit. So number one, they're desirous to be led by the Spirit. Number two, they're developed by the Word. The Bible says here that He's going to do it upon this rock, upon this statement, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. There are too many churches right now, and we have to, look, I, I see too many pulpits, and the message is on politics. Look, I, I don't care who you're going to vote for. I, I have no dog in that fight. But I'm going to tell you the truth. If you're looking more for Donald Trump's return than the return of Jesus Christ, there's a problem in your Christianity. You can get mad if you want, but that's the reality of the matter. Uh we're, I, I, there are too many churches, the, the preacher get up and all he wants to preach about is politics. All he wants to preach about is what's happening in the current news. What we need is a church, a group of people. What you need is to get behind the man of God when he opens that book and to have open ears and open hearts and, and being willing to respond to the word of God. James tells us that we ought to treat it like a mirror. You got up this morning, you got dressed, you men, you may have shaved your face, you combed your hair, you ladies, you put on makeup, you got dressed. And you did that because you looked in the mirror and the mirror said, you need to do this because you look bad. 
And then you get into the Bible, and the Bible is your mirror, and you open it up, and it's got the image of Jesus Christ on it, and you look in it, and the Bible says, you look really bad, you need to fix this. The preacher gets up, and he says, you need to fix this. The, the Sunday school teacher gets up and says, you need to fix this, and you look at it, and you go on. It's the same thing as if you walked out of the house, ladies, without an ounce of makeup on, and men without shaving your face or combing your hair. You wouldn't do that physically, but you look in the Word of God, and you'll do it every single day. You see, you have to be willing to be developed. You have to be willing to be built upon the Word. It's a church that is desirous to be Spirit-led. It's a church that is developed by the Word. It is a church that is desirous to grow. It says there, I will build. I will build. Uh, I get caught a lot of times building things, putting things together. There's a process if you were to go out and say, I want you to build a house, or I want you to build a shed, you would start, if you built your house, you would, you would dig your footers, and then you would lay your blocks, and then you would lay your, your, your joists, and then you would lay your floor, and then you would put your walls, and then you would move up, and there would be progress that would take place. Do not be afraid to desire to actually grow. Now, we have to be careful because our desire, uh, I tell my people, I said, I don't want us to grow up, I want us to grow out. That's what I want to, uh, I have no desire to, to pastor a 1,500-member church. I have no desire to get that. If I get to that big and I haven't already split off and went and did it somewhere else with somebody else, then I'm doing something wrong. But what we have is this desire. You ought to have a desire to see somebody come and sit on the pew. Next week is Resurrection Sunday. That, that used to be. It used to be that there were, two, there were two Sundays out of the year where people were going to come to church, and that was Easter and Christmas. That's what it used to be. Even if you weren't law, if you weren't saved, you were going to find yourself on a church in Easter. That's what they call it. Yeah. Resurrection Sunday is going to roll around. Yeah. Now, are you, I mean, had you even, do you even desire to bring somebody with you? Do you even desire to bring somebody with you? Do you even desire to have somebody with you at church? You see, there has to be a desire for something to take place. Or you could just desire to, you, look, You'd be fine, you could sit on the pew, and you can never desire for God to do anything or God to work inside your life, inside your family's life, and that's fine. You'll get to go to heaven. You're on your way to heaven if you're saved. But man, you're missing out. You're missing out on being able to see what God is willing and able and capable of still doing inside your church. Must be desires to be spirit-led. Uh, you, you must be uh, developed upon the words. You must be desires to grow. But then lastly, you must be driven to go. Bible says here at the gates of hell shall not prevail. We, we've almost given up. I hear people, look, we go out in our church, we go out on the, uh, we, we, have, we, we do it on Sunday afternoons because it's just easier for our people to get there instead of during the week because you're busy, you work. Unlike me and your pastor, we just sit at home and do nothing all day. And uh, it's, just, it's the life. You ought to sign up for it sometime. Uh, we, uh, we, we decided, you know what, we're going to do it on Sunday afternoons. People are already on their way to church, so we'll, we'll have all our outreach on Sunday afternoons. We, we've decided, our, our young preacher boys, they, they get out and they go street preaching on a Sunday. We go door knocking on a Sunday. We go to nursing homes on Sunday. We, we have a sign ministry for people who, ladies or people who don't feel that they want to street preach, and they just stand there and hold the sign. We get on the roundabouts and we hold it. We were knocking on doors the other day. And I was walking with one of my men, and he said, this is just so difficult. He said, he said, I can go out and street preach, and it's so much easier than if I go door knocking. And we got this idea that it's difficult to do. 
that it's, that it's just hard to do. And the truth is, it's hard for your flesh to do it. Uh, we were sitting here before church, and the, the, the little young, young lady came up here and ran up here and uh, grabbed somebody over here. And, and then I believe your, your boy was running up on the thing and trying to get up there. Uh, don't take for granted the, the children in the church. We, uh, we just found out we've got, a, we, we've got so many young... I'm praying that God's going to send us families with young boys because we've got so many young girls. We got, and I'm not ready to deal with the drama that's going to come along when they turn into teenagers. And, uh, but we've got so many, and, and we just found out one of the young couples in our church, they, they, they told us uh, maybe last Wednesday or Wednesday before that they're expecting another baby girl. And the whole church was just ecstatic. There's nothing more exciting than a new baby, if it's not yours, <laughs> if it's not yours. That, that joy, even for the mother and father, uh, there in the delivery room when that baby comes, that day you forget about all the bills you've got, you forget about all your worries, you forget about all your woes, you, because there is a new baby inside that life. Family members who hated each other now love each other. Uh, things that, take, that took place are now forgotten. And everything is grand and glorious because there's a new baby to love. The same way is true inside our Christian life. There will be no greater joy inside your Christian life than leading somebody to the Lord and seeing a new baby born. In church... Uh, here's the way, and I don't know, I, I, don't, I didn't ask your pastor, I haven't spoken to my father, uh, I don't know how your church responds to things. Uh, the average church expects for the pastor to go out and knock on doors, expects the pastor to go out and, and visit, expects the pastor to have three good messages every week, and they can't figure out why he's dead and tired by the time he gets to Sunday night, and he doesn't want to roll out of bed on Monday morning. It's not the preacher's job. It's not the deacon's job. It is the job of every single believer to go out and give out the gospel. The Bible says, how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now that's you. That's everybody. See, I don't care if you're young. I don't care if, you, that you, if you're aged. I don't care if you've got a good personality. I don't care if you've got a bad personality. I don't care if you've got money. I don't care if you don't have money. I don't care if you think you're intellectual or if you are intellectual. You have a responsibility, a mandate given to you by God Almighty to get out and get the gospel to those who are lost and dying and on their way to hell. Now remember... We started this message with two things. That was the truth that Jesus Christ is getting ready to come back. Now, if you believe that, you believe that every single person that's on the other side of that gate is on their way to hell. That's what you believe. Now, I don't know if you've read the book of Revelation lately, but the Bible says that after you and I are taking up out of this, in the air, out of this world, that the spirit that is here will be gone. Now, the message of the kingdom will be preached by 144,000 witnesses. But if you look at Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation, chapter number 6, you get into the first four trumpets that are, or the first four seals that are open. A quarter of mankind is killed within the first four seals that are open. Then by the time you get into the trumpets, another one, by the time you get finished with the trumpets, 58% of the population dies that's on this planet. 58% of the population dies. By the time you get done with the trumpets, these people that are sitting right here on the other side of this gate, they're blinded. 
You, we see them at the gas station. Their pants are on the ground. Their vulgarities blaring out of their radio. And we think, man, I wish they'd turn the radio off. I wish they'd shut up. I wish they'd leave me alone. And God's saying, I wish you'd just give them the gospel. I wish you'd just tell them about God. I w- Look, as much as you may dislike Nancy Pelosi, God wants Nancy Pelosi to get right and get saved. As much as God, as much as you dislike maybe a person over here that's lost, that's involved, you see a, maybe you see a drunk or maybe you see a drug addict or maybe you see somebody addicted to uh, some other great difficult sin. Those are people that are on the other side of that gate being blinded by Satan himself and it's your job to go through that gate and get the gospel to them. You see, the gate's closed from this side. The gate's closed on this side. Gates open on this side. There's nothing that can stop you. There's nothing that can stop you from going to that side and getting, preacher, they won't like it. They're not going to. Then wipe the dust off your feet and go on to the next one. It's not your job to save them. It's your job just to get the gospel to them. It's your job to get the word of God to them. You're getting ready to stir the baptism waters tonight, and that's because somebody got saved. I, I remember first place I was at, we didn't have a baptistry. You're blessed to have a baptistry. Beautiful building here. I'll never forget. I, we, we, were, we were needing to baptize people. We had had people get saved. Young people get saved. and people. We, I've been, the Lord's been the, the blessed the, to, to allow me to be able to do that. And I remember I came to him and said, look, we need, to, we need to buy a portable baptistry or build a baptistry or something. I found one. And uh, it was, I think it was some $3,000, which Really, in all honesty, it is not a lot of money when you compare it to what, how much it needs to be used. I'll never forget, we had a couple that, that had left and were out of town when, when we voted on this, when we voted on buying this thing, which you can't find voting anywhere inside the Bible. And, uh, but uh, we voted on that thing as a church because, of course, it, you know, it had a constitution. You have to follow these rules. and all. It's wonderful when you start a church. You don't have to do all those things. <laughs> but... I remember they came back and they found out that we had voted on buying a baptistry. And they said, why in the world would we spend that much money on a baptistry? And I, I thought to myself, you just don't expect to use it. That's the problem. You see, there's a baptistry up there. The Bible says somebody gets saved, you ought to baptize them. Uh, Philip gets the Ethiopian eunuch. Hey, can I get baptized? He says, not until you get saved. And then he puts him in the water after he gets saved. You see, I like to see the baptistry waters stirred. But the baptistry waters only get stirred when somebody's heart gets stirred. And somebody's heart on this side only gets stirred when somebody's heart on this side gets stirred. You're going to have to get busy. You're going to have to get to work. Jesus Christ is coming back soon. The, the trumpet's getting ready to sound. I'm getting ready to go out. The Bible says he's not slack concerning his promise, but that he is long-suffering, that he is not willing that any should perish. Why didn't he come back? Because he wants people to get saved. You're sitting here on the pew and you're thinking, man, Lord, I wish you'd come back so I have to deal with all this mess in this country. God's saying, I'm only waiting for somebody to get saved. That's the desire of God. Your position here, their position here, now it's up to you. Church, I mean, really, you sit here tonight and you say, well, the mega church down the road, they're filling it up. They'll hand out a million Easter eggs and they'll hand out a million hot dogs and we don't have a chance. I'm telling you the truth. You need to, we need to get back in the Baptist church to the old-fashioned ways of door knocking and street preaching and giving out the gospel and getting to people individually and personally and getting the gospel out because that still works. I have witnessed it. It still works. 
And if a church would get serious, you say, Preacher, I don't know if we can do it. I'm telling you, you can do it here. I'm telling you, God can work inside your heart. Inside, Imagine a church. Jesus may not come back for another 20 years, but imagine a church. I've seen children running around. I've seen young families in here. Imagine a church that's here 20 and 30 years from now when those young people are getting married and when their children are born and they're still soul winning and they're still seeing people get saved and God's still working. You see, because that's, that's not happening everywhere. Churches are closing. I told you we bought a priest's property. They had four people inside that church. Four people, that's all they had. Now, good people desired to do something for God, but they just couldn't do it anymore. And so many churches have just stopped going after the gate. Going, see, the gate is not an offense. It's a defensive tool. And God said that gate can't stop you. That gate can't stop you from getting to them. You need to get out there. You need to get busy. You need to be getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out to the lost and dying. Please stand. I'm finished. Every head bowed, every eye closed.